Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series Authentic, a study on the book of James. You guys pray with me. Father, I just come one more time this for you this morning, um, just asking for your grace, um, asking for your strength physically and spiritually and mentally um, to one more time teach your word. Um, I am a, uh, like Isaiah, and we just sang, I am a, a broken man, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among people of unclean lips. Um, but yet you have sent me and called me, and so I just pray this one more time this morning that by your spirit and in your power, you, are, you strengthen me to proclaim truth to your people in a way that the church of Jesus is built and edified and equipped and encouraged and challenged, Lord, so that you are exalted. And I just pray that in your name and for your glory, not for ours. Uh, please help me, and please give us ears to hear uh, again so that Jesus, your church is built in your name's sake, I pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. And turn to the book of James. Book of James, if you have a Bible, James chapter 4. If you don't, there should be one in the seat in front of you. You can grab that one and uh, turn to, I think, page 655 in that one. Um, been in this book for a couple months now, a couple more weeks. We're going to take next week and the week off for Easter, obviously, and we'll come back and finish it up in May um, before we go into our summer series, but it's been good stuff. Last week... Um, I have four children, my youngest two, my eight-year-old, my five-year-old, we were having a discussion on, on the future as we're doing the dishes, right? And so they're telling me all the things that would be true of them and in their lives at 25 years old. And so my eight-year-old Seth says, Dad, when I'm 25, I am not going to do the dishes ever again. All right, to which my five-year-old said, Seth, when you're 25, you're going to be my dad. Uh, so that, I, not sure that's how that works, Trip. Um, so... But then I told Seth, I said, no, Seth, when you're 25, I'm going to make you come to my house and do my dishes. And then Tripp chimes in again and says, Dad, when Seth's 25, you're not even going to be a yive anymore. <laughs> I said, oh, that child's out of the will now, all right? <laughs> I appreciate that. But there's a little bit of thinking that goes into that. I mean, am I going to be a yive? I hope so. I, I want that to be the case, but do I really know? How do we, as followers of Christ, think about and plan for the future? I mean, I don't have my DeLorean, no flux capacitor, so I don't know what's going to happen. How do we plan for the future as a Christian, right? How do we, how do we think about that? Because let's be honest, we've got dreams and we have hopes and we have plans, right? Some of you, I'm going to be married by this time and we're going to expand the company by this time and I'm going to get out of debt by this time. We're going to finish my degree here and we're going to start a family and I'm going to buy that. We have plans and what we do when we have plans, we start orchestrating our life around it. We start taking these steps and these steps and we're thinking and doing all these things and all that's great. But how do you know? How do we plan for the future well? How do we, because there's a good way to do it and there's a bad way. There's a godly way and then there's a non-godly way to plan. And what James is going to address in this text today is how can we as followers of Jesus of Nazareth plan for the future well? How do we do it? And he's writing to a group of people, y'all remember, their lives have been blown up. 
Because of their faith in Christ, they've been scattered all over Palestine. They've been kicked out of jobs. They've been kicked out of land. They've lost everything, some of them. And life is not where they thought it would be. And so James is going to say, this is how you plan for what's next. Here's how we do it. Right? Here's how we go. And again, James is a guy, he's not speaking from you know, pie in the sky. He gets it. His life was going this direction. And then his brother raises from the dead. And then his life is now going in this direction. Remember, he was opposed to his brother. He doubted his brother. His brother shows up resurrected and his life is turned upside down. And so he was probably being a carpenter or something in that direction. And all of a sudden now he is leading this ginormous church in Jerusalem, 15,000 plus people. That's not where he, what he envisioned. So he has a little bit to say about how to think about the future, how to plan. And here's the reality. In this room right here, 50% of y'all are planners. You are got the schedule, got the plan, got the phone, got the calendar. You love it. You do. You love it. You love planning. If I said planners stand up, you'd love it because you got to do something this morning, right? Oh, yeah, I got to do something. And the other half of you, you're the non-planners. You're the Christian Woodstockers. You're like, yeah, trust Jesus, it's fine, it don't matter. We'll just kind of show up and go with the flow and just life is good and you kind of think, that's, that's you, right? And, and the reality is James has something to say to both of us in this text of scripture today, right? So let's look what he says and we'll talk about it a little bit. Just a short passage today, got it all in one slide. Verse 13 to the end of the chapter. He says this, come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So... Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, if you're looking for five principles or five rules of planning today, I don't have them for you. There's very little formulaic things in the scripture and in A plus B equals C. What we do have is just some principles from the scripture to help us think well about the future. And in this text, I've identified just four things and I actually have assigned an object to each because I know that we sometimes forget and I want you to remember, all right? So four principles, each one has an object. When you're planning, when you're thinking about the future, when you're dreaming, when you have hopes, when you have all these expectations, bring these four things along, all right? Let's jump in. What does he start saying? He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such on. He's talking to Mr. Planner now, Mr. Scheduler in the room. He said, come on, all right? Listen to me is the idea. See here, mister, got it all together. You got the plan. You got the, you got the timing down. It's today or tomorrow. And we're going to go into the such and such a town. So you got the city down. You know where you're going. You got the time frame. You know how long you're going to be there. You're going to be one year. You know exactly what you're planning on doing. You're going to do X. You're going to start this company. You're going to do this. And you even know the result. You're going to make some money. You're going you're gonna to be in the black. You're going to buy a house. You're going to do this. You got it all together, Mr. Planner, don't you? But you're making a couple pretty big assumptions, aren't you? In fact, there's a whole lot of assumptions that you're making. When, where, how, result, you, you got it all together. Now, the, the non-planners in the room are saying, ha, ha, I knew it was a sin to plan. 
I was looking for this verse for all my life. Now I'm going to get a tattoo, James 4, 13. I'm excited, right? And he is not saying planning is bad. There is way too much in the scripture. The book of Proverbs, there's way too many examples, guys like Nehemiah who plan and think. He's not saying planning is bad. He's talking about the assumptions, and the verse really keeps going in verse 14. He says, you do all these things, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know if you're going to be a yive tomorrow. You, you, don't, you can't be sure of anything. They can't even predict the weather for tomorrow. And you have all these assumptions. You, you can only count on two or three things in life. Death, taxes, the Braves not winning the pennant. Those three things, right? Those are the only things we can be sure of. That's the reality. And that's what he's saying. And and here's the first object when you're planning, you need to bring with you a pencil. And you need to write your plans in pencil, the big old eraser on the other end. Because you do not know for sure. If you're like, I'm going to get married by this time, I'm going to get this degree by this time, I'm going to buy this by this time, and we're going to move there, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, great. Great to think through those things. Great to have visions, but you better write it in pencil and not in Sharpie. Because what happens if you write it in Sharpie and it doesn't happen? You get mad, and this is not where I expected to be. I never expected to get transferred to Savannah where you got these bugs and there's no mountains and all these things. And this is not how I thought my kids would be. We did all this traveling for soccer and they're not even playing soccer. And this is not how I wrote it up. Right? This is not where I expected. I had my Sharpie plan. Write it in pencil because you do not know, right? And, and to act like you do, what does he say in verse 16? He says, this is arrogance. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all boasting is, is evil. And we usually assign evil to like, you know, adultery and, and murder and drug dealing, right? That's evil. He says, no, your arrogance is evil because you are acting like you are God and you are not. You are not sovereign, so stop acting like it, right? What if the Lord says, no, 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 I want you going over here? Are you willing to accept that? Write it in pencil, right? Write it in pencil. And I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I thought, oh, the ch- we're gonna do this as a church, I mean, we, and then we didn't end up doing it, we have paid off the building by now. Because you do not know. I mean, you, you could go and ask my wife when I, when I tricked her into marrying me 16 years ago. All right, this was not on the docket. I didn't like, hey, we're gonna go do all these things. We, I was gonna be a school teacher and I was gonna coach baseball. We we're gonna have this nice little life with these nice little kids in this nice little quiet coastal town. Seminary, leaving Beaufort, South Carolina and, fly, and moving to Dallas, me buying a house that she had never seen and she shows up one day like, you bought this? I bought this, honey, yeah. That wasn't on the, that wasn't on the docket. Going to seminary three years, coming back, I told her, oh, we're gonna be at this church four or five years. Right, we're gonna be kind of settle in here. Eighteen months later, honey, um, how do you, what do you think about Savannah, Georgia? I think we're gonna plant a church down there. Really? You said four to five years. See, when you write it in sharpie and not in pencil, you make promises that you can't keep. What if the Lord moves? Right. So you know, have dreams, have plans, have schedules. That's great, but make sure you write them in pencil because you are not sovereign, and you have that eraser just in case. Ooh. Right. That's the first thing. He continues. 
is what is your life? Great question, right? What, what is your life? It's like a box of chocolates. Never know what you're going to get, right? It's like a piano. It's all how you play it, right? All these cheesy statements. What is your life is what James asks. And then he answers, right? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it's gone. It's that, that cold morning and that breath. You see it? It's gone. He said, Mr. Planner, you assume all these things. You're going to do this. You're going to go there. You're going to do this. You're going to do there. He said, I don't mean to be Mr. Debbie Downer and all, but we're all going to be very dead one day. Right? You were just, boom. That's it. I mean, you've all been to your parents' house, your grandparents' house, and they, they whip out all the old, you know, photo albums, and you look at these old pictures from, like, the early 1900s, and you're like, did they not invent smiling until, like, late 50? I mean, what happened here? And you're just all these grumpy people, you know, looking at these family pictures. But what do they do? Oh, that was Uncle Charlie. And oh, we used to go to Uncle Charlie's farm. And all those people were real people. They went to real elementary school and then they, they got real jobs and they had real families and they, they played real sports and they loved each other and they did life together, went on picnics and did all these things. And you know what? They're gone. And one day, in a hundred years from now, someone's gonna open a photo album and say, there you are. Who is, what is that guy wearing? Oh, that's Uncle Bill. Oh, Uncle Bill. You got all your short jeans from Uncle Bill. Yeah, right? <laughs> right? That's you in a hundred years. Because it's the vapor. It's a mist. And this is what Solomon writes about in this book, Ecclesiastes. Some of you, you've read that. Some of you, you're unfamiliar. Solomon, the wisest man in the Old Testament, he asks for God's wisdom, and God gives him supernatural wisdom. And he, and he writes this book at the end of his life, just reflecting on life, where he says, I gave myself everything I wanted. I bought cars, I bought boats. Horses were cars in its day. I bought horses and chariots, and I had boats, and I had money, and I had power, and I had women, and I had everything. I indulged myself. That's what he says. I gave myself everything. And constantly throughout this little book of Ecclesiastes, he, he constantly comes back to this one word. He says it like 35, 40 times. It's this Hebrew word, havel, which means vanity. Vanity. And literally, the Hebrew word, what it literally means is breath, vapor. Vapor. It's all vapor, it's breath. So at the end of this book, and he, he reminds in chapter 12, he says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. So when you're young, not when you're, when you're old. So it's, it's like, oh, you look back. But he says this. He said, the, this is the end of the matter. All things has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. He says, I've done it all. I've, done, I've seen it all. Here's the only thing that matters because everything's breath. Fear God. Fear God and honor him. That's all that matters. And here's the second thing you need to bring when you're planning. This is an angry bird's clock. I figured the kids would like it after the sermon my youngest. But it's a clock. This is like a nerdy clock that I found online. I'm like, some engineers in the room are like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm going to get that right, right? But what you need is a clock because there is a sense of urgency in life. Because you're a vapor and you don't know if you're going to be a yive tomorrow. That's the reality. I mean, those who are... I, those who are younger don't see this yet, but I am amazed the older you get, how fast time flies. 
I will be 40 in, almost, in two weeks. I'm like, 40? Oh my goodness. I have almost a 14-year-old. He's almost as tall as me, which is not much, but it's something for him. And I, and I remember, when you're young, everything is so slow and you're always trying to get through it to get to the next phase. So you're in elementary school, you wanna get off the little kid's bus and get on the big kid's bus. And then when you're on the big kid bus, you're like, I wanna off the bus and I wanna drive. And when you're driving in high school, you wanna get out of high school and you wanna get into college. And when you're in college, you wanna get out and make some money. When you wanna get out and make some money, you wanna get married. When you get married, you wanna have kids. When you have kids, you wanna get the kids out of the house. And then you're like, wait, slow down. It's, it's so fast. And that's what he's saying. So you gotta have your clock. You gotta know the time, right? And there should be a sense of urgency, and here's why. The unimportant things of life cannot crowd out the important things. And they will if you let them, right? Because there's no guarantee for tomorrow. You can go and spend a bazillion dollars at Whole Foods and eating all good stuff, exercising, but you do not know if you're gonna be alive tomorrow, right? There's no guarantee. And so we, we, we think about what the psalmist says. This is what David says. He says, Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. And then he says this, this Hebrew word, salah, which just means think about that. Think about it, salah. And then he says, surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Right? What good is it if you build all your barns and you put the last nail in the barn and then your soul is required of you that night? And so here's what you need to do. Here's your homework. Get a piece of paper this week. Get your journal out, whatever you do. Write down your priorities in your life. What are those things which are most important or they should be? If you've if you got a spouse, that relationship. You have those kids, that relationship. If you're a student at SCAD, that is a priority. That's important. You're here. You're spending a lot of money. You need to do that well. If you're at Armstrong, you're, you're in that school. What is the priorities in your life right now? And obviously, Christ is at the center of each one of those priorities. But what does that look like and how well are you doing there? Is there something that's carrying too much weight that's crowding out something else that's important? Because it happens all the time, right? What matters? When you're at the end, say you lived to 99 years old and you're on your deathbed and all the family is around, you are not gonna be saying, honey, would you please just one last time go get my high school GPA? I really wanna see what I got. Honey, what, what's, the, what's Apple stock at? What's our retirement account at right now? Where did I, get me the org chart, the final org chart. Where, where was I on that org chart? Or can you go get my high school trophies and my letterman jacket? I just wanna wear it one more time. You're not gonna care. All that's gonna matter there is the impact you had on those people for the Lord Jesus. That's the only thing you're gonna take with you into the kingdom. And so the idea is when you plan, great. Have great visions and dreams, great. But make sure you have a clock with you and you know that you might not be a yive tomorrow. You might not. And, and this, was, this was even last night. So last night I did the Saturday night mass or whatever we call it. I don't even know, Saturday service. And I go home and my, little, my boys are like, Dad, it's 7.45 and I'm tired and I want to watch some basketball and go to bed. They're like, Dad, would you play a game with us? Would you play Sorry Sliders? Just a little game. And I'm like, no, I want to do. And I thought, wait a minute. I just preached this sermon on those things which matter. It's a little 15 minute game. 
Yeah, I'll play. Let's play. Dad, will you go throw a ball with us? No, I, I, just a few more emails, son. Just a few more. W- would you have coffee with me? I have some issues. I, I, I really don't have time because I got to go, I, I go shopping. I go. These are the things that matter. And, and I was walking this morning, and, the, and this old song from the 70s came to mind. Hey, Harry Chapin. Some of you know it. Some of you are like, what's the 70s? I don't even know if that was existed. But there's this song called Cats in the Cradle. Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon. I cry every time I hear this song. It's not even a Christian song. Little Boy Blue and the Man on the Moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. We got to sing that on a Sunday morning. That'll be a great song, right? <laughs> and at the end of the song, right, now the dad is the, is the grandpa, and he's calling his son and said, hey, when are we going to get together? And the son is just like his dad. And he said, oh, we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time. And I don't want to be living at the end with regret that the important things were crowded out by the unimportant things. And so when you plan, you got your pencil, your eraser, and you got your clock, right? First two things. Let's continue on the text. This is how it ought to be, he says, verse 15. Instead... There's a contrast here. Instead, you ought to do this. You ought to say this. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, remember the context. When you see the word Lord in the New Testament, it typically is referring to the Lord Jesus, right? And and remember who's writing this now. This is James, the half-brother. So what he's saying is it's it's not a problem to plan and have dreams and want to go to college and do all these. That's not the problem. The problem is when you when you ignore my brother. In your plans. When you exclude my big brother from your plans, that is the problem. That's what he's talking about. Instead, and, and, and this is not some Christian cliche that we just kind of, we've added to the church vernacular here. With the Lord wills, Lord wills, Lord willing. You want to go to lunch after church? Well, Lord willing. Well, you want to ride with us? Well, Lord willing, I'll ride with you. And where do you want to go? Well, Lord willing, let's go to Barb's. And Lord willing, I'll run you over on the way. I mean, you know. <laughs> It's not something we just add to the statement. It's a conviction of our heart that when God leads, we follow, right? So if if Jesus leads, then we do it because he is the good shepherd and his sheep hear his voice and they lead or follow, they follow him. So when I take my kids into the target, what always happens is they want to run over here and get ahead of me and run over to the Legos, No, we're not going to the Legos. We're going to buy toothpaste. We're going this way. Follow me. Don't lead me. Follow me. Right? And so when you're planning, you got to ask the question, are you following or are you leading? Are you saying, Lord, I'm going to do this, bless this, or are you following his lead? And here's the third thing you need. It's a little technologically advanced for some of y'all, so you're going to have to catch up to us here, but you need your Christian Twitter account. For those of you who are like, what's Twitter? Let me just kind of fill you in real quick. Okay, we got we to gotta watch, watch a little more TV, a little bit, just a little bit, right? Or get a little on the internet here. But Twitter is a social media where basically you follow an individual. So you can say, oh, I'm going to follow John Piper. I'm going to follow Charles Stanley. And they send out these little things called tweets periodically, which is kind of some inspirational saying. And they got 140 characters. But the idea is you are following them. And so when you're planning and when you're dreaming, you need to make sure that you are following Jesus, all right? You need to make sure he is leading and you are following, and when he leads, you listen. 
and you're checking in. And I'm, I am shocked in my own life how often I get ahead of the Lord and little, every, how often I make decisions just all the time without even thinking about what God would have me do. All the time. And, and we are not, as followers, we are not independent contractors. He does not exist for our pleasure, for our dreams, for our business plan, for our ambitions. We exist for him, and that is it. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. This is the way Paul says it. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, not yours. And we as a church, we need to remember that. It's a, it's a difference, and I've, and I've used this before, but it's just so clear. It's the difference between cats and dogs. Cats are lousy theologians. Dogs are good theologians. All right, let me explain. A cat, you feed a cat. You meet the cat's needs. You pet a cat. You care for a cat. Cat thinks, I must be God. They do all these things for me. I must be God. And they act like it. All right? <laughs> a dog, you feed a dog. You pet a dog. You take care of a dog. A dog says, he's God. I'm going to serve him. Dogs are good theologians. Cats are lousy. You need to stop being a cat and start being a dog. God has blessed you. God has called you. God has anointed you. God has gifted you. God has provided for you. He is God. You are not. Follow him. Worship him. Right? That's the idea. Seek his plan. Follow him. He said, oh, you know, my time is short, Bill. I'm going to miss God's will for my life. And what if I missed the girl I was supposed to marry and she was on the bus and I didn't ask because I missed and now she married some other guy. And I... Look, if you are truly seeking the will of God, you will find it. You, do you think, how, if, if our father in heaven is a good and loving father, what kind of dad is like, I know what I want you to do, but I'm not going to tell you because I really don't want you to do it. That's not our father in heaven. If you are seeking his will, you will find it. Seek, knock, ask. Chapter one, ask if you lack wisdom. He gives you graciously and without reproach. Now there's a whole discussion, oh, how do we find God's will for my life? Look, if you're looking for a formula, again, you're not gonna find a formula. But here's some principles. You wanna know what God's will for your life is? Search the scriptures because God will never lead contrary to his word of God. You're all, should, I, should I marry a, a non-believer? Pretty clear in scripture, no. Should I, should I go in a bazillion dollars worth of debt? And, and cripple myself and never be to pay it off. Pretty clear, no. There, there's some things that are just taken off the table when you know the principles of the word of God, right? They just are. Now, is there a verse, go move the pooler? No, there's not, all right? Is there a verse, I should go to Georgia versus Georgia Tech? No, there's not. But the closer you get to Christ, the easier it is to sense where he's leading. And the second principle of finding God's will is follow the, follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. When, when he prompts you in this, you gotta learn to be sensitive to the Spirit. Learn to listen Learn to know when he's moving. There's just sometimes in decisions that I'm making for the house, at the house, or at church, where I just know that this is where God is leading. And, and I've told the staff, I don't know why I know that, but I know that this is what we're supposed to do right now. And every time I've, I've ignored those promptings of the Spirit, it's ended up in disaster. And every time I've followed, it's, it's, it's been good. It's where God wanted. And it's just, you gotta learn to walk by the Spirit and not carry out the desires of the flesh. To not grieve the Spirit. To be sensitive to the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit. So be, be, be searching that. Look for what he's doing in circumstances and, and, and looking for those things. And then just another way, another principle of, of discovering God's will sometimes is, is peace. 
Now, I say that with a caveat because you can be in absolute rebellion to God, like Jonah, in the bottom of a ship asleep, and he had peace, and he's, in, he's not in God's will. So emotions can be deceitful. But often, God, when you have casted your anxiety on him because he cares for you, the peace of Christ that surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And there's a peace, even in difficult decisions, that I know this was hard, but God is leading me here because I have peace. There's peace in my spirit. And probably, you know, next to the word of God, the, the next thing that we always tell folks when they're looking for what, what is God's plan is to ask godly people. You're a young mom, you got questions about this, seek a, a, a godly, more seasons mom. You're a young single guy, and you're like, I don't know what to do this, how do I do this with this, you're asking this girl to marry me, whatever. Go to the guy that's been there, that's, that you trust, that's got wisdom. Seek counsel from spirit-filled individuals. But the idea is, God wants you to know his will, and he leads us when we seek it. And if he says, if he puts up the stop sign, that you're willing to say, you know what, I've been going the wrong way, I'm gonna turn, you turn. Because if you seek, you will find, right? That's the goal, that we welcome God to override. I, often before every sermon, just in my, in my quiet prayer time, just be like, God, add to or take away from whatever you want me to say. This is your sermon. I've planned, I've prayed, I've, I've studied, but you add to this and take away. If you want me to say something that's not in my notes, great. If you want me to take away something, it's yours, right? And that's the idea in our life. So bring your pencil, bring your clock, check in your spiritual Twitter, and one more thing. Look at he closes the verse, chapter, this, the paragraph. So, and it's, just, it's this Greek word, therefore, the un, it's translated, therefore, so, so that, in different translations. But the idea is, here's the conclusion. In light of what I've just said, so, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. If you know what's right and you don't do it, that's called sin. If you know this is, you shouldn't do this and you do do it, this is called sin. He's basically saying, just do what you know. A key word, for the one who knows, if you know to do something and you don't do it, that is disobedience, that's sin. So do what you know. Well, I've only been a Christian three, three months. Then do what you know. I've been Christian 35 years. Do what you know. Whatever you know to do, some command, you know, there's broad stroke commands for, for Christians, you know, flee immorality and love your neighbor and, and love God with all your heart. We know those. Do that. But there are individual things for you and for you that you're called to do as well. So you do what God calls you to do. And this is the last thing you need when you're planning. You need your plate. And you need to know what is on your plate. You need to know your plate. Some of you got great big potential. You're just like a big old platter and you can just pile it all on. Some of your paper plates. And you can only handle so much and you're a little bit flimsy at times. Some of you are a little fine china. Others, you're like me, you're like this Tupperware. A little hard-headed, not, you know, not necessarily flashy, but it gets the job done, right? Know your plate. This is why knowing your priorities, knowing what God has gifted you to do, knowing what God has called you to do is so important. Because nobody is called to do everything, y'all. Some of you are just like, well, let's just continue to pile things on my plate. No one is called to do everything. Do you realize that even Jesus didn't do everything? He said no to things. He said, somebody said, come to this town. He said no. That means he wasn't gonna heal that person. Sometimes he, he went, the most godly thing he could do was go get away and pray and rest. And at the end of his life, 
He tells the disciples, every single thing the Father has sent me to do, I've done it. Everything. I've done it perfectly. I've done it joyfully. I've done it gloriously. I've done everything the Father called me to do. Everything. And think about this. How much of Jesus' earthly ministry was, was he in full-time ministry? Right? He was between 32 and 35 years old, most scholars think, when he was crucified. How many years did he spend in ministry? The most three, the most, because we have three Passovers in the Gospels. That means between 30 and 32 years, where was Jesus? In his father's shop, making tables. Yet at the end of, of his ministry, he says, I've done everything the father has asked me to do. So it means for 30, he, meant, he meant for Jesus to spend 30 years in a carpenter shop. That was his plate for the time. And then he went out and did the next thing that was on his plate. You have to know your plate. You have to know what you are capable and what you're called to do. And when God says to do it, you do it. And if he says not to do it, you don't do it. Some of you are putting way too much on your plate. And it's, it's just piling up and everything's spilling out. And the things that usually spill out is the things that are most important. That's what usually happens. So you need to learn to say is such an easy word. Hard for you to say, but it was your first words out of your mouth because you're a little sinful person. Your first words were not mommy and daddy. It was no. Right? And you need to learn to say no. No. Because you know what? If I say yes, then that means something, something suffers. I can't say no to every, yes to everything because I don't have that capacity. So you need to take some stuff off your plate because you're doing nothing well. Doing a lot of things, but you're doing nothing well. This is why as a church we've said, don't, do, don't be involved in six different things. Do one thing. Do one thing. We don't want you here every night. We don't want you here at the church doing six, because then you're not doing home well. You're not doing family well. You're not doing neighbors well. You're not doing anything. Do one thing here. What are the priorities? Look, I, I will tell you this. And early on in my ministry, it was hard for me to say no. And I found myself all over the place. I have learned to say no. I'm telling you, I feel great. I don't, I, I don't feel bad anymore. Because I know if I say yes to this, see, I have, I have my priorities. Big priority is my wife. And then this, this, this big area here, that's my four kids. And then the next thing down, the smaller area, that's CBC. Now, I love CBC. And I love this church, but this is more important. And that means sometimes I'm going to say no to this because I'm saying yes to this. I did it this week. I had a ministry opportunity to go and just be a part of on a Friday night. Good opportunity. I'm invited. But you know what? My eight-year-old had a game, and it was important for me to be at that game. And so I said no to this and yes to this, and I didn't feel guilty at all. Right? Now, if there's an emergency or something else, that's a different story. I'm not talking about that. I get opportunities. All, I for some reason, people want me to come speak at things. I have no clue why. I really don't. But I get asked all the time, would you come speak at this for us? Would you come and speak? And, and I don't, you know what I'll say? No. Most of the time, because I have the CBC, this is my priority when it comes to speaking. And if I go out there and speak and out there and speak and out there, then I'm not doing my job here. Now, once in a while, if I feel like God's leading me to do it, I'll do it. But you guys are a priority when it comes to speaking. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do here. Just know you gotta know your plate. 
Some of you gotta say no and you gotta start taking some stuff off because you're doing nothing well. Or you're doing this really well, but this is not the most important thing. I can do ministry super well and never see my kids. And then there's a problem. So who cares? It goes back to knowing my clock. Right? Now some of you, quite honestly, you need to be doing more. All right, you got big old holes on your plate. And you can do more. You're that young single guy and you, you're working 40 hours, but you got a higher capacity. You can pile some stuff on. And you need to ask, Lord, what do you want me to put in here? What, I got this big opening right here. What do you want me to put there? It's, it's all knowing who you are, knowing your gifts, knowing your place. That's why you got to know your plate. Moms, you got to know your plate. You are not a yellow cab driver. So if there's like, well, mom, we have six more games next week. Good. You're not in the major leagues making a million dollars. So we don't have to do that, right? <laughs> you can say no because your plate otherwise is gonna go crazy. Maybe you're doing all these things, but the plate, that, that area of you're cultivating your, your relationship with Christ is suffering. Or maybe you're doing so much ministry, you're personally not feeding yourself. Or, may, or maybe you got too much on this and your, your marriage and you need to start putting more of the marriage. Know your plate. Whatever it is, know your plate. And then do it. What does he say? Know the right thing and do it, right? Why? Because you're a vapor. Because you're a vapor. How do we plan well? We bring our pencil. We got our clock. We got our spiritual Twitter. We got our plate, right? We use those. And I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're in a great spot. Here's what I don't want for us, because I care about you. I don't want you to regret, and I missed it. I, caught, I got all the emails done, but I missed the kids. I was doing all the ministry, but I never went on a date with my wife. I had four years at SCAD, and I had all this time at Armstrong, and I could have done this, and I could have gone to this, and I could have helped out in this, and I just played Wii and Xbox all night long. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to waste it. I don't want you to regret it. So we're going to have a time to respond, and that's what, that's what it is. It's a time of singing, a time of prayer, a time of response. And so just in your seats, just spend some time searching your heart. If you're like, I've been going this way. It's time to do a U-turn. This is today's the day to do a U-turn. If you're, if you're in a good spot, just, God, please keep me in a good spot. I want to be, I don't, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste my time. Whatever is appropriate for you, that's, this is our chance to respond. So I'll ask the worship team to come up and I'll just kind of enter our time in prayer and then we'll continue to worship and reflect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and you're gracious to us. I pray right now just for us as a church that we would be a people who are sensitive to what your spirit is teaching, leading. Um, I ask for just clarity for some of us who are seeking and that, that you would make yourself known I pray for those who have been going in a direction that needs to change. I just pray for the wisdom and the strength and the grace to do so, uh, so that Christ is glorified and he's honored. In his name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.